The following podcast contains explicit language. You're listening to the Cinematography Podcast presented by Hot Rod Cameras, a program about the art, craft and philosophy of the moving image and the people who make it happen. Coming to you from the world headquarters of Hot Rod Cameras in Hollywood, California, are your hosts, Ben Rock and Ilya Friedman. Ben, it's episode 37. Oh my God, I can't believe we're at episode 37 already. It grows up so fast. Believe it. Here we are, episode 37. And episode 37 is kind of a momentous episode. I'll say. In, uh, in that, who do, who do you interview? Oh, it's a really good interview. In fact, it's it's one of my most favorite interviews of all time. And I think that we, I can actually say that we are now friends. Uh, a personal hero of Just mine. Just say it. Say, say the name. Seamus McGarvey. Holy crap, Seamus McGarvey. Yes, Seamus McGarvey. Uh, didn't weren't you just telling me about Bad Times at El Royale? Bad Times at the El Royale, a uh, movie that I uh, I wanted to see in the theater, but since I uh, have a baby, I don't get to do that. Uh, I'm, I'm going to make a swear jar. Every time you mention the baby, you're going to have to throw like a dollar into it now. That that's fine. Um, well, but I just I just don't get to see movies in the theater. But I had a job in Seattle, and I watched it on the plane, and mm. I loved it. And then I watched it again on uh, on my big screen at home because it's a beautiful looking movie. But yeah, Seamus McGarvey is a living legend, and here is your interview with him. The Cinematography Podcast Interview. Seamus McGarvey, thank you so much for coming on the Cinematography Podcast. It's lovely to be here, Ilya. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, I've, I've really wanted this to happen for a long time, so I'm glad that I'm glad that it's happening uh, right now. Um, there is so many places that uh, I, I hope that we will go in this uh, this relatively short uh, interview. Some of our interviews go on for go for on for a long time, but um, I'm just going to come out and say it. I love high fidelity. I think High Fidelity is a fantastic movie. And that even though I'd seen the big tease, that was the first time I also really uh, I really paid attention and noticed who you are in your work. And I've kind of been tracking you at, ever since then. So oh, thanks very much. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I love the film. I really do. And it was a wonderful experience for me and a, a huge break in my career to to get a film of, of with a director of that caliber of Steve, with Stephen Frears. Oh, yeah. um, but. On, on on repeated viewings, uh, now that I, I know what end of a camera to look through, I would love to have an opportunity to to relight that film because there are some howlers of cinematographic um, ineptitude in it. And uh, I, I'm really, it's not one that I'm particularly proud of, but I must say I love it uh, to, as a movie. You're far too, you're far too modest. I think, I think the look serves the story very well and I feel like it all, it all, all fits. And uh, I mean, of course you've gone on to do the Avengers and tons of other stuff since then, but it's like, no, I think, I think that, I think it's an excellent movie and I think that uh, it shouldn't look any other way. That, that to me, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I've fallen in love with it as it is. You should love your children regardless, regardless <laughs> of how they are. You, and um, I think Well, that, for me, yeah. uh, high fidelity is the cinematographic runt of the litter. <laughs> Uh, uh, well, you know, I'm going to have to disagree with you. Uh, I'm going to officially go on the record right now of disagreeing with you that may, may, maybe it's not maybe it's not your favorite, but I think I think it's not without its charm. Oh, it, good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Okay, so the second thing before before we we talk about all the other the other great things you've done, um, nosedive, uh, which I, I, 
is, of course, the season three opener of Black Mirror. Probably my favorite episode of the entire the entire series. I think it's fantastic. I think it looks fantastic. I think he did uh, tremendous work. Uh, and I know it's it's Joe Wright, right? Who's the, the director of that? So is that exactly. and I assume that that's how you came to it. Well, it was. Uh, we had worked previously on Pan and the the film Pan hadn't been well received and, and, and that's an understatement and it was a big budget movie for Warners and Joe was just feeling a bit uh, low I suppose about, about how it had been received and, and wanted to just get his fingernails dirty on something a bit more rough and tumble and a quicker shoot um, something that was all ready to go and he rang me up and he said, look, we've got this uh, project, Nosedive for Black Mirror. And I immediately, that was, I, he had me at Black Mirror because I'd seen previous series, loved it. And I loved Charlie Booker's writing anyway as, uh, as a columnist. And so we, the next thing we knew, we were both in Cape Town and shot it very quickly, a couple of weeks really, um, for a relatively low budget. And it was such a refreshing experience, well, for both of us. And uh, that uh, it, it kind of, we both got our mojo back, uh, cinematographic and, and Joe's directorial mojo back um, after the big behemoth that had been Pan. Mm. Uh, and uh, we just had a wonderful time. It was winter time in, in, in Britain. So down in Cape Town, of course, it was some glorious summer. And we just had uh, made this film in a very visceral way with a strong visual identity that was very different to anything Joe had, had done before and I had done with him, uh, which was a kind of a wan, pale, pastel approach, almost uh, sweet to the point of rotten, <laughs> like overripe. Oh, yes. Um, but uh, we, we had great fun. Kudos to the production design on that, too, because, I mean, uh, it, they, they did a fantastic job and the, the palette that you had to work with there with all the with the colors. And, and I, I have no idea if it was true or not, because some shoots are hard and sh- some shoots are easy. But I have to imagine in my sort of the back of my brain, it looks to me like and Bryce Dallas Howard is having the time of her life with that role like i would i would hope so but uh but i would hope that everyone is having the time of their life that looked like a that looked like a really fun job to be, be well, a part of i think so i think she did and i think that the style of it was slightly tipped over mm-hmm. it was it was almost a grand guignol uh vaudevillian uh, style of performance oh, oh yes it, it, it it's a it's a it's on the upper register for sure yeah, yeah. and we got to work also with the great cherry jones who was is my neighbor or was when oh, wow. i lived in la so we had a, a great time it was it was the the master class in acting when i was looking through the camera uh, and uh, i loved every second of being there i love south africa as well Fantastic. So, um, wow. Okay. Uh, now that I've talked about my own personal stuff here, <laughs> I've got to ask you about the two things that I that I'm uh, really very fond of, and uh, I've seen multiple times uh, both of those things. I, I want to ask you, um, what's it like uh, now having your pick of projects? Because I know in in most cinematographers' lives, it, you know their their career arcs. It starts off. You you take whatever whatever uh, that you identify with in in some way. But now that uh, you know, now that I'm, sh- I'm sure that the offers come in probably all the time. What, what do you, what do, what are your, what, how do you, how do you pick and choose? How do you decide what, what oh, speaks to you? It doesn't, it 
doesn't really work like that. I mean, no. my career, it's not exact. It probably is an arc that's uh, probably on its descent, descent now. But <laughs> no. but it, it has actually up until now been pretty roller coastery. I mean, it's consistent, uh, admittedly and luckily. But, uh, you know, I do a whole range of projects and sometimes I don't have the luxury of, of saying no to things or, or, or deciding or choosing, in fact. And actually, I don't mind that because sometimes I just like that idea of, of gigging, you know, like you, sure, to me, the getting gig. out there. Yeah, getting out there. I enjoy being a cinematographer so much that whatever it is I'm shooting, I get a kick out of it. And I really do. I mean that. And so I do a whole diverse range of, of projects and enjoy. And I'm very lucky to say that that I still get offered films and sometimes I go through periods in fact this year I finished a film at the start of the year and I thought oh I'm going to take some time off and then came to the end of the summer and it was still crickets mm. and I was like I've got to get a job really quickly because I'm skint <laughs> broke yeah. and I you know I started ringing around and nobody was calling and I was like oh my god is that it is that the end and uh, luckily I got a few commercials I, I know for sure that this is not your end <laughs> this is not at all so you, uh, uh, I, I mean come on We're, I'm talking to the person right now who shot both the Avengers and Atonement so it's like you know you, and, and this is kind of what I want to talk about you have such a diverse body of work you you do a lot of different types of things and very different looks in them too it's not like you're not painting you're not painting everything with the same brush no. so uh, well that's part of the challenge that i love doing and i don't it's not willful shifting of of my photographic eye just for the sake of it uh i i love reading a script seeing what lies within it photographically speaking and what the photographic signatures are that that come out from the page at you and coupled with that is the fact that on most projects you're working with a, a another director a different director who inspires uh, other notions in you through your collective conversations about the look of the film other ideas about how you might approach something visually occur and that's actually the thing I love most about cinematography is that I'm a different cinematographer with each project that uh, I'm the same person, obviously. But, you know, it's those binary conversations and, and beyond binary, you know, they're not just me and the director. It's the designer, the uh, costume designer, the hair and makeup. They all come together and there is particularly working with Joe Wright, for instance, there's a real democracy of ideas that occurs around the table where you, you kind of uh, bounce off each other and, and there's a, a definite creative electricity at work that produces through the discussions about the project in, in hand a different feel and look to each one that's appropriate to that film. So that's something that you know I, I've encountered with, for instance, working with Tom Ford on Nocturnal Animals. At the start of that project, we didn't even look at pictures for a man who's renowned as a as a sort of a image designer, genius yeah, and designer. Yeah. Um, is uh, we just talked around the, the the notions of the film, the themes, the philosophies, and and through that, it it gradually the ideas distilled in purely in words, verbal terms, and then we were able to bring pictures into that. So there was a distillation process that was verbal and conversational up to that point and that was really wonderful to to see it was like uh sieving 
water for gold, you know, and uh, that way I think that you come to uh, a more eloquent and coherent use of, of cinematography towards the telling of a particular story. I, I think that sounds like a fantastic way to work. If only they could always be like that. So well, that's yeah, it, I'm not saying that it is because yeah. it, there are things that are absolutely much more explosive and a Catherine wheel of ideas and influences. And sometimes that occurs in b- the bigger studio films where there are myriad influences mm. at bet. Notes and paint by number and storyboards that can't be uh, uh, deviated from. And uh, yeah. yeah, and the storyboards and the the previs are very very useful and uh, they're say like imperative mm. for many of those uh, special effects heavy and visual effects heavy movies. Um, you just gotta have them. But at the same time, what I try to remember is is to just be a little bit more creatively elastic when it comes to shooting it because and that's the wonderful thing about a film set it's it, it always gives me the shivers actually you know you arrive for instance on the avengers we were shooting in albuquerque and you come up i was driving to work and it's dawn and you're coming up over the hill towards the studio there and you come towards and going past truck after truck after truck after truck after juggernaut getting bigger and bigger towards the glow of the the lights and and really the hairs are standing up on my arm and you're thinking oh, the money this is costing and and the responsibility and oh, yes. if, what if i mess this up today <laughs> and i'll get fired and blah blah, blah and the, the nerves of that and then you get inside and you go through all the people and you know you have your breakfast and then you get into the inner sanctum of you the director the actors the set clapperboard goes down and it's silence it's the inner sanctum there's a holy spot at the center that is the same on a Lynn Ramsey film we need to talk about Kevin as it is on Godzilla or the Avengers or any of the bigger ones that I've done that is about you and the actors and looking and it's it's you with your eye to the camera I mean you the cinematographer you're witnessing what millions hopefully will see and it's an incredible position to be in. And it's it's something that allows you to say, do you know what? That's not quite working. And you become the the, the voice of the millions in, in the audience who go, what were they thinking? You know, so <laughs> that you, you, you think there's a chance to change this. Let's do it that way. And ultimately, those are the the multiple decisions that are instant and tiny that build to become the bigger whole that become why an audience unconsciously absorbs an image and feels good about it or a, a whole film and feels good about it and enjoys it or or deflects it and says well that doesn't taste good that's a great way to encapsulate um encapsulate the experience and it's clear that you have uh that you have love for the pre-production process and for the production process when when things are all going well uh I have to ask you now because the cinematographer's job doesn't end there usually you also have then a big period of post potentially how, how do you still feel about uh, that this I mean it's a different type of work some people call it drudgery some people get very passionate about it some people love it once the cameras stop rolling and all the film has gone to the lab or all of the you know the, the rough cut is put together and they start asking you for for uh you know uh, what was your intention here what were you thinking the colorists and everyone else who's coming involved what uh what what's that process like for you how do you how do you feel about that well the the biggest part of my job really is on the set and and prior to that in pre-production post-production i 
obviously don't get involved in editing. But I really come in again at the DI process, the digital intermediate. So myself and a colorist, hopefully it's Steve Scott, uh, a Technicolor. Uh, or nice plug. Or, it was yeah. very, very good. <laughs> Steve Scott is going to have to listen to this one. Yeah, yeah. He, he owes you 20 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> he, he doesn't need it, believe me. But um, he is a genius. And I look forward to th that time where I sit in the DI. And really, I don't like to overwork an image. And that's why Steve comes into his own, because he he can do extraordinary things to an image that that are done with such a sense of taste and a velvet hand that uh, you know they're done really in the spirit of the original photography and uh, but he makes me look uh, really good in certain shots that that really didn't look as good as he makes them so I love that part of it and sometimes you know studios do allow for a certain amount of time but probably not enough in the DI or certainly not what I spend uh, in terms of hours and days and weeks in the DI but uh, I, I, it's a very creative aspect of the of the cinematographer's job and it's one that as cinematographers we've got to fight and insist upon our presence in um, it's it's a lot can change with uh with people who maybe aren't of the same sensibility as as to what you intended when you shot the film almost everyone i've i've ever spoken to about this says the same thing that they need they need more time and that they need people on their team who have the same the same sense of judgment and it's kind of amazing how many people can get involved and if dailies don't necessarily look like the final thing people fall in love with the ungraded daily look and then wanted to that to stay or to go yeah. back to, and I know those those are those are battles that uh, it seems like every every DP has to fight. Okay, so I want to I, I I know you it's not a this isn't a Sophie's Choice sort of thing, but you've told me now that that perhaps one of my favorite movies is the runt of your your litter of uh, of of, uh, of of things you've shot. Do you have a favorite? Is there one of is there a piece of work that uh, that that stands out that you that you're really proud of that you really like to to have represent you then if it's not high fidelity so well if high fidelity was one of the first the more recent one was bad times at the el royale and I, I say that because it's a film i'm very very proud of both just as, as a movie i think drew goddard did a beautiful job in the writing of the script and the direction of this film it's a real jewel i think and and also in in what we achieved together cinematographically and the film I don't think has found its audience yet uh, it, you know it had a limited run in the cinemas and I really hope that it, it can find its audience almost the same way that uh, The Greatest Showman did after it, it, it came out to mixed reviews Bad Times actually had very good reviews but it uh, it's not in the cinemas anymore and I really would love it to be valued actually and, and seen because I think it's a very special film and I had such a great time doing it we shot it on film we shot it with a very distinct style and look with anamorphic lenses um, all in a beautiful set that was designed by Martin List we shot it in Vancouver with, uh, with uh, the set it was one of the most beautiful sets I've ever had the joy to photograph and light um, so uh, I think it's a it's a genuinely it's it's a, a cinematographic uh Fabergé egg I suppose because it's, it's all full of lots of different areas of of intrigue that you can go into and out of and 
and uh, it's a it starts with great writing and and an amazing cast. I think that you've just uh, painted a, a a lovely uh, you know letter to to your your most recent work, which I'm excited to see it. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, Seamus, are you on the Instagrams or the Twitters or anything like that? Do you do you do any of those things? Is there can someone follow you in a place if they so so want to? Yeah, I I love Instagram and I. I've always been on on Facebook and a little bit. I'm an idle Twitter, Twitter, or Twitler. <laughs> well, fantastic! We will put all of your social media links in the show notes, and so anyone then who wants to follow your Instagrams and stuff can can click on that and do that. Yeah, it's 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 a lovely way of. I I don't put. I know a lot of cinematographers. My friend Chivo has got this extraordinarily curated sequence of images that I go on daily, uh, that I love. Do you put your breakfast up there? I don't put my <laughs> breakfast, but it is it is epistolic and uh, diaristic, okay. and it, it tends to have just things that I see fleetingly. And my my law with my Instagram is that it has to be uh, like quick draw McGraw, mm. like uh, iPhone pictures, yeah, which yeah. I just snap. So it's it's things that I see on the hoof, as Bresson said, l'image à la sauvette, like the decisive moment. Uh, and it's it's little things that I wouldn't take with my bigger camera, uh, that and I just love the, the the iPhones for that that you can snap stuff in an ad hoc, sketchy, um, and reactive way. There's definitely uh, that sort of spontaneity that you, that comes from having a camera with you all the time that just gives you that sort of freedom and uh, ability to to instantly savor that moment, which. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the next generation. I think the next generation, they're going to be even better than they are now. And uh, that'll, be a, that'll be a thing. Anyway, Seamus, thank you so much for coming Thanks, on the show. It, it was really, really great oh, to have you. Thank you for the invitation. I've loved, loved talking to you. Well, I, I'd love to have you on again sometime. Look forward to it. All right, that was Seamus McGarvey. And if I do say so, Ilya, amazing job interviewing. Wow, me. thank you very much. I, I really enjoyed it. That's good. That's good. Because you're going to do more. <laughs> anyway, so Ilya, you know what time it is. Uh-oh, is it bill paying time? It's time to pay those bills. All right. Well, well, th- this time paying the bills, we have to uh we have to thank our sponsor, Ari. Ari is a wonderful supporter of this podcast and uh we don't usually double up on what we want to talk about with Aerie, but this one is so big, I think that it uh it, it bears repeating. Mm-hmm. Uh they have a new camera that is hotly hotly anticipated called the Alexa Mini LF. This L- is- LF stands for Larry Fong, by the yeah. way. Just ask Larry. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He did say that. Uh, Ari says it stands for large format. Large format being a, a larger imaging sensor, uh, more mini, resolution. Mini large format. Correct. Mini camera body, large sensor. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, hotly anticipated. It's going to come out of the gate uh, Netflix approved. It's got a UHD mode, which is uh, ultra high definition. And producers out there who I've already been talking to about this are telling me they cannot wait to shoot on the new Mini. So the new Mini being the Mini LF. And uh, I I will tell you that uh, we have had a lot of inquiries from people who pre-ordered this camera wanting to know when they're going to get theirs and a lot of people out there who are planning to shoot with that camera who are already like how do i make this happen how do so i get what, one? what's the street date do we know 
second half of 2019 is the the is the so we're there so so 180 day window basically is what area has given Mm -hmm. themselves but i expect them to start arriving sooner rather than later so so who knows maybe uh, you'll be seeing some stuff soon so uh so should people reach out to you at hot rod cameras to uh, purchase one of these of course of course if you've got you know if you got a few uh ducats lying around and you leading question yeah yeah you can you can contact me for sure all right how much will one set you back a bit okay well that's fair it's airy because it's the best stuff ever. That's it's pretty incredible. That should be so. airy. You can have that for free. That's your new slogan. Airy. It's the best <laughs> stuff ever. And now, short ends. All right, Ben. Uh, Bill paying time is over. Uh, what's your short end this week? So my short end is kind of a grievance. Mm, is a it grievance. Okay? Is it oh, okay yeah. Well, I... this mine's a grievance, too. This is going to be the grievance short end episode. All right. Yeah, we have umbrage. All right, mm. cool. So uh, DC Universe. Never it, heard of them. Okay, so that is... I'm uh, kidding. Uh, well, no, DC Universe is a streaming video-on-demand service, you know, like Netflix or uh, Amazon Prime or Shutter or whatever. Specializing in the DC Universe properties? Correct, yeah. It's yes. all it's all DC Batman, stuff. Batman, Superman, yeah. So Woman. James Wan, uh, who's, who's, who made uh, Aquaman, uh, who directed Aquaman, but is probably best known for directing, you know, the first movie in the Saw series, and he's well-known in the, in the in the horror world. And so he's somebody who kind of straddles mainstream cinema and horror cinema. Uh, he co-created with some people a new reboot of the awesome uh, classic uh, comic book character Swamp Thing. This is DC character. I don't know if you knew this, but John Constantine actually started as a spinoff of Swamp Thing. Hmm. Interesting, right? Really? Yeah. So Swamp Thing was like a movie in the 80s. I don't know what John Constantine is. John Constantine, like from... Uh, the movie Constantine with Keanu Reeves. Uh, and then also there was a TV series called Constantine. But more importantly, uh, there was a comic book called Hellblazer that was all Hellblazer. Hellblazer, not to be confused with Hellraiser. Okay. Hellblazer. So it, or Hellboy. Not Hellboy. That's a totally different comic book. Okay. You're making it very hard for me to tell <laughs> my, my short end. Shazam! It was not Shazam. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, they made a uh, for DC Universe. They made a Swamp Thing TV series. Mm. Now, full disclosure, I'm pretty good friends with Derek Mears, who plays. Uh, Swamp oh Thing. yeah, I see. So this is all like you know subtle publicity for your friend Derek. Well, I, I wish it was. Okay. Because the day that the show dropped, which was like a week ago, mm. they announced that it was canceled. What? So and they're not. It's it's not like Netflix. So they're not releasing all the episodes at once. They're trickling them out week by week. Even though it's canceled. Correct. And supposedly, according to the news that I heard, the reason it was canceled was that they had uh, a, a budget shortfall because they were shooting in North Carolina and the North Carolina uh, tax incentive didn't kick back the amount of money that they were supposed to get kicked back. And so they didn't have their full budget. So they didn't even finish shooting the season. OK, so wait a second. Is your grievance with North Carolina or is your grievance with DC Universe who canceled the show prematurely without even giving it a chance to find its well, audience. Well, I think my grievance is with the entire situation. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had to like really lay uh, my frustration at one individual's feet, though, it would be DC Universe. Why did you announce that a show was canceled the day that it arrived instead of letting us watch it and uh, maybe fall in love with it and maybe find a reason to continue doing that show if it had a fan base? It was like they went out of their way to cut the fan base off at the heels before it could even exist. And I've watched the first two episodes and it's really good. Hmm. Like it's really, really good. And I'm not just saying that because my friend Derek is playing Swamp Thing. Uh, it's just, it's creepy. There, there was a, 
Wes Craven made a, a Swamp Thing movie in the 80s, and then there was another sequel done, and then there was a TV series, and they were all a little campy. This is not campy. This is like dead serious, dark, and 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 a, like a really good horror comic booky kind of monster series. And I'm just outrageously disappointed that uh, DC would can would announce that it was canceled the day it dropped. <sighs> It was your dreams. Your dreams were dashed of basically a Shape of Water television series with a dark edge. You clearly have never encountered anything from the Swamp Thing if you think it's like the Shape of Water. Oh, I, I don't know. I, Although I, don't I'm, I guarantee you Guillermo del Toro is a fan of the Swamp Thing. Oh, okay. Well, and here I was I was just throwing out a little levity. I did. I wasn't sure. Jerk. Oh. <laughs> okay, so so yeah, you've got a grievance with the whole situation. I think it's, it's interesting and apropos that we both have grievances this week. Uh, as you know, and we covered on the podcast, uh, one of the big hits of Sundance this year was a movie called Britney Runs a Marathon. It's a huge, huge like fan favorite, and Amazon mm-hmm. picked it up for several million dollars. You know, the streaming services have been getting a lot of cred in the uh, last few years, since yeah. they've really sort of come into their own, of doing things differently than traditional studios. So I expected that here's a movie that hits that all quadrants, as they say, like, you know, basically men and women under 25, over 25. People are going to love this. This is a broad comedy and dramedy. There's some some drama in it. Mm -hmm. But one thing it's not really it's really not sort of a rom com. That is not this movie. But if you watch the trailer that Amazon put out for Britney Runs a Marathon, it plays on every single sort of like rom-com girl empowerment rom-com like it is it is trying so they, hard to do they fit play it. peter gabriel salisbury oh they it. might as well they might as well it is wretched and when i watched that i was like wow i don't know what executives and amazon saw this and thought we're gonna get we're gonna get this uh this rom-com market and we're gonna alienate every other person basically anyone how much you want to bet they, they just extensively uh, focus grouped it and came to that conclusion based on fo- focus group data. Well, these people also like Notting Hill, so they also will like that. I, I have no fucking idea. I mean, that's, that's that's how all of those companies are working is like on analytics and data and, and, and micro-targeting stuff, so. Yeah, well, um, it's, it's a movie now I think that's going to be widely overlooked because it's going to be marketed to a very specific niche, and everyone else out there is going to be like, what, that thing? Do I really want to watch that thing? Mm. Which, is, which is too bad. So, hey, uh, it was a great movie. It was great people, uh, you know, great great product that was involved. Amazon, I thought, scored a, a huge home run by, by being able to take it home, and now who knows what's actually will happen. So if because of what you say, people watch it regardless then the Amazon people and and then uh, the Amazon's right and they the, should not listen to me. Exactly. Amazon will be like, "See, this is how we market it. Giant hit. Giant hit and screw you, Ilya. You you don't totally don't know how to how to market our shit." And likewise with DC at me probably. Like they're like They're going to yeah. be like, "Thank God we got away from that stench." Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, we got to put our money somewhere else and clearly not into this thing even yeah. though Ben Rock liked it. Yeah, it's 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 just a serious bummer because when you see like I think we're both complaining about the same thing. Good uh, craftsmanship being uh, not trampled on by the man. Yeah, by the man, by the big old man with his big boots. Uh, I'm pretty sure that that only other sort of curmudgeon get off of my lawn, you know, older folk like us even want to listen to these rants. I'm pretty sure that anyone under a certain age was like, these guys are so negative. We should just turn off this podcast right now. Well, we're generally not this negative. In fact, usually we try and find something we love, like Chernobyl. But that's also just, you know. <laughs> Yes, on a lighter note, Chernobyl. Chernobyl. Anyway. <laughs> Next up, Fukushima. 
<laughs> I, I guarantee you there's some there's some people over at Showtime right now. Can we get the rights to Fukushima? Can we get the rights to Fukushima? I know, I know. Oh, it's so terrible. funny. Like, remember when the social net this is has is apropos of nothing. Remember when the social network came out, there was a book that had come out a year before that called Stealing MySpace. And I maintain to this day MySpace is a more interesting story than Facebook. Interesting. Just because it's the people who did it are monsters. Wow, I know nothing about the I know nothing about the MySpace people. Well, maybe uh, we'll save this for another short end. Maybe someone already has the rights to it. I know. <laughs> if not, call me. <laughs> oh, do you have the rights to no. it? No. <laughs> no. All right. So, so Ben, uh, I think that just about does it for us. Where can people find you? Uh, I can be found on the internet. How about you? <laughs> yes, I can also be found on the series of tubes known as the internet. <laughs> Or is it full of cats? I don't remember what it is. It's one of those. Th- one <laughs> Mine of those is things. full of owls. Owls, really? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Not baby hedgehogs being tickled. No. no. <laughs> Just owls. Yeah. <laughs> They're kind of angry. Angry yeah. owls. Talons. <laughs> Nasty little beaks. Wow. All right. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah. Uh, if, so find you on the web with owls, please. And, uh, not at Neptune Salad. At Neptune Salad is my Twitter handle, and uh, BenRockOnline.com is my website. Have you tweeted lately? I tweet constantly, so yes, I have. I've oh, tweeted a okay. lot lately. All right. Well, hey, you can find me over at Hot Rod Cameras. You can find me on the Instagrams at Hot Rod Cameras. You can find me on the Twitter, I guess, at Ilya Friedman. I have not tweeted lately, so you really don't need to do that. But over at Instagram, you can find me there. Snapchat? Uh, no, I don't. Don't don't snap nor oh. chat. Yeah, we're both too old for that. So um, we'd like to. Before we go, we'd like to thank, as always, Kay Alatrachi for a hundred percent of our music. Who's not going to hear our thank yous? Thank you, Case. Thank you. Uh, go to his website, musicbykays.com. <laughs> and our editorial staff, uh, Ben Katz and Abby Corbett, thank you so much for putting these things together. And I just met Ben for the first time in person. Wasn't that awesome? Last week. Very nice guy. I was at our, our very cool Cine Beer event. That was cool. And yeah. That should have been my short end. I, my short end should have been Cine Beer because it was awesome. It was I awesome. I could have promoted myself. Well, well, yeah. And maybe episode 38. Yeah, well, you know, maybe promote Cine Beer before Cine Beer <sighs> next year. Yeah, rather than after. You're yeah, right. Yeah. Get Good call. Good call. And, and lastly, as always, we want to thank Alana Cody for being the most awesomest producer, much better than what we deserve. Uh, yes, that's true. All right. Until, until next week. Stay cinema I don't know. We don't, we don't, we don't really have a, a good catchphrase. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have to work on that. Yeah. Goodbye. Till next time, clear your F stuff. I don't even know whoa, what whoa. What does that even mean? It doesn't mean anything. It's a mystery. Bye. This has been the Cinematography Podcast, presented by Hot Rod Cameras. Find your next camera, lens, or accessory on the web at hotrodcameras.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes and connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening.